Well, welcome. We're really glad you're here. My name is John Ray. And this morning, as I loved Jeff reading that scripture as the Alex and the worship team brought us here, we're going to quiet our hearts now. We're also going to pray together uh, to start this. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Some of it you'll be very familiar with, obviously. I added a little bit of the part in here um, just to bring it home to us, just to bring it home that this is not something we're just doing out of rote. This is not just something we're doing in a perfunctory manner but something that we're actually praying for ourselves in this situation. So stand with me if you would. The the words will be up here, and I'll lead us, but let us all pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here among us in Grace Church as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated and welcome to a new decade, not just a new year, but a new decade. This is 2020. This is when I was a kid. This is the year it all happens. Flying cars, robot maids, teleportation, space, space travel, right? 2020, it's supposed to all be happening. So we got a lot to do this year, y'all. <laughs> if this is the start, it's going to be a big year <laughs> with where we're going. But... Um, I imagine your inboxes are like mine, crammed with ads. Your social media feed is full of promises that if you'll click this, if you'll buy this, if you'll join this, all your resolutions can come true. You will achieve everything that the past decade just wouldn't let you achieve, but now with that fresh calendar in front of you, surely this year... If you buy the product, if you join the group, if you click the button, you will get it done this year. Uh, Yeah, right. I mean, it's easy to give in though, right? It's it's easy to click, it's easy to scroll, it's easy to say I'm going to join, it's easy. And the power and the pull of these ads rest in a combination of what is promised to us and our own culpability. It's easy, it's easy to blame the ad guys. Sorry, Justin, you know, right? Like, easy, easy to blame the ad guys here, but really all they're doing is responding to our own culpability. And we've talked, we've talked about this a lot at Grace, and I should have been picking on you as well, Jeff, not just Justin, but um, it's, we talk about this a lot, that that there is a narrative in our Christian culture that says, yeah, we're messed up. Yes, we have problems. Yes, there are things that need to change in our life. And I need God like I need a coach. I need God like I need a physician. I need God like I need a, 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 a personal trainer. Because basically, all I need is just a little help. All I need is a little more information. All I need is a little coaching. All I need is a little more 
whatever, insert fill in the blank. I was talking with someone the other day, and they said, it seems like I'm always just $5,000 behind, right? If I just had that extra $5,000, then I would, I would be there, right? I would have what I need. Y'all, it's not true. It's not true. We don't need a coach. We don't just need a physician. We don't need a trainer. We need a savior. We need a savior. We need someone who can come in and save us from the irreparable mess we have made of things. Not just in our own lives, but in our families, in our societies, in our churches. Left to our own devices and left to our own mistaken buying into the narrative that all we need is just a little adjustment we continue to perpetuate toxicity and pain. We continue to perpetuate the mistakes of generations that have gone before us. This week, we're going to continue our study of Mark, and we're going to see how Jesus basically demonstrated the authority to take up that role of Savior. Now, we're going to see it time and again, but it starts here. It starts here. And so, as we do that, we're going to see something happen that Jesus invites us into a place of recognizing our need for a Savior and then the ability to respond to it. Every year at the start of the year, I, I really don't make New Year's resolutions, but what I've tried to do over previous years is take time to get away, to be by myself, and to reflect and say, and, and thank God for what happened in the previous year, but also just set my intentions for the year. Where is it? Reorient myself. And I was thinking this. I was thinking, you know, what is it, what is it that we are called to? What is our purpose in life? You could say it that way. And I wrote this down. I said, the path of every person is to let themselves be unconditionally loved by God to know the freedom that that offers and to walk faithfully for the sake of others. I believe that this is the response. This is what we're being called to do. And Jesus says, come and follow me. He's saying, come and let me love you unconditionally as God loves us, which is terrifying when you think about it. Maybe the single hardest thing to do is to allow God to love us as God chooses to love us. But then to walk in the freedom, to, to, to lay aside all the things that, that threaten us, all the things that bind us, all the things that afflict us, to lay those things aside and to really walk in freedom. But understanding that that freedom is not for ourselves, that freedom is for the sake of others, for this world. That freedom is for the healing, the redemption of the world around us. Jesus shows us that, I believe, as we look. Well, let's, let's look at the text. Here we go. This is in Mark 1. Uh, really appreciate Brian Riley last week kicking Mark off with his knowledge of that. Um, Jesus it starts with verse 21. He says, Then they went to Capernaum, where the Sabbath came. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed by his teaching because he taught 
them like one who had authority, not like the experts in the law. And a few years back, we studied this when we came across it in Matthew. The way that the experts in the law would teach is this. They would, they would be in the synagogue, and they would begin to talk, and they would, someone would read a passage from the Torah, and then someone would stand up, and he would say, well, Rabbi Gamaliel says this about that. And another person would say, well, don't forget what Rabbi so-and-so also said. And then someone else would say, but we see Moses also interpreting this here. And so their whole argument, their whole discussion would be based on what other people had said. And it, was a, and it was an impressive dialogue. It was a heady dialogue to someone like me who, who loves studying and, and, and digging into the Scripture and talking about it. I, I, I just love that setting. But y'all, it was all talk. And it was all talk based on authority, not from knowing it yourself or having done it yourself, but on what other people had said. And we came to the conclusion as we studied that the Jesus' authority wasn't that, that he could argue better, that he could debate better, but that he would go on to say, you've heard the prophet say, but I tell you this. Or you may have heard Moses say, but I tell you this. So he, what he did is he moved the location of authority from the prophets, from the other teachers, from the rabbis to himself. This is one of the things that got him killed, <laughs> was doing that, because you didn't do that in a society. But in addition to that, he also acted on it. He demonstrated it by his actions, as we're going to see as we continue to read. Not only his action, but his affections. Is that he was so in tune with the Father, he was so in love with God, he regularly tuned his heart through prayer, and through letting his emotions be guided by the Father. So it was his authority came from his head, his hands, and his heart. So let's go and see how this plays out. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He cried out, leave us alone, Jesus of Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Silence, come out of him. Immediately, the authority is demonstrated in his power. After throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed so that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits to obey him. So the news about him spread quickly throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, as soon as they left the synagogue, and we see that again, Mark, we're going to see this again, it's almost like immediately, as soon as they get its action they entered Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was laying down, sick with a fever. So they spoke to Jesus about her. He came and raised her up, gently taking her by the hand. Again, we see the emotion. We see the care here. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, so he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Then Jesus got up early in the morning. And here we go. He's cultivating that time. He is intentional. He gets up early in the morning while it was still very dark, departed, went out to a deserted place. And there he spent time in prayer. Simon and his companions searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And just stop here for a minute. Our prayer is so often just a wish list of things that we want. 
We're only motivated to pray when we feel like we have a need. Jesus, Jesus is, is doing something here that transcends just mere need meeting. Jesus is in a relationship with God, cultivating that, that is not based primarily out of need, but I believe primarily out of abundance, out of affection with that. So they said, everyone is looking for you. You replied, let's go elsewhere in the surrounding villages so I can preach there too, for this is what I came out here to do. So he went into Galilee, into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, fell to his knees asking for help. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with indignation, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once and was clean. We talked a lot about teaching team this week, this word indignation. I do not believe that indignation was towards the man. I don't believe he was put off in any way that this leper came. I believe that the indignation is at what the man had suffered. Being a leper in the society was horrendous. And Jesus, again, his compassion, he gently heals Peter's mother-in-law. He is angry at the injustice caused by this disease here. Immediately, Jesus sent the man away with a very strong warning. He told him, see that you do not say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to a priest and bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But as the man went out, he began to announce it publicly and spread the story widely so that Jesus was no longer able to enter any town openly, but stayed outside in remote places. Still, they kept coming to him from everywhere because he was different. This is not just another teacher. This is not just another healer. This is not just another mystic. This is someone who has all three together. Head, hand, and heart. And it is the combination of these things that is the proof and source of Jesus' authority. Jesus' actions and affections were totally in line with his words. How rare is that to see today? How I long for that in my own life, that that what I did would line up with what I said, that what I felt would line up with my words. But in Jesus, we see an absolute integrity of head, hand, and heart, of actions, affections, and thoughts. He is the ultimate image of integrity. Everything lined up. And it didn't just happen. He wasn't just born that way. Of course, he was divine. We know that in that. But we also know that he had to grow in wisdom and stature with people. So he cultivated the practices which kept that integrity intact and grew it as he grew older. Jesus was intentional in all he did to recognize the source, maintain that vital connection to the source, and act on it, growing strong in this unity, this integrity. What about us? Y'all, what about us? Where do we see the church lacking integrity? And it, that's an, that may sound like a <clears throat> that may sound like a strong rebuke, but but I, I want to think about it in in terms of absolutely what the what the words mean. When I say lacking integrity, I'm not talking about a scandal, although we should expose those. But I'm talking about integrity in 
Are we doing what we say we're doing? And, and are our hearts lined up with it? Are we doing it with all our heart? The greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, it reflects these three things. We are to love God equally with our hands, equally with our heart as to our head. In our society, and as products of the Protestant Reformation, the head has taken over everything. The idea of the, just the, the theology, the doctrine, we're drunk on it, y'all. As necessary as the corrective was, when, when Martin Luther put the Bible in the vernacular of the people to get it out, locked, out from being locked away in Latin, now it has come to divide us where we have thousands of denominations broken over some of the smallest of interpretive matters. Disregarding affection and action. When I teach this um, to discipleship training schools, I talk about orthodoxy, orthopraxis, orthopathos, right thinking, right feeling, right acting, head, hand, and heart. These things have to be together in integrity. And when we honor one above the other, when we devote all our attention to one area and the others are starved, we become disintegrated. We start to lack integrity and people start to get hurt. Anytime these things get out of whack, everything goes sideways. The church is suffering from an ecclesial vertigo. We become dizzy and destructive force instead of a place of hope and healing, hospitality and shalom. One of the most moving pictures to come out of the previous decade was this one. I don't know if you remember the story, but the Pope, Pope Francis, was offering mass and this man, Vicencio Riva, an Italian man, a, a, a garbage collector, because of the horrendousness of his features from birth, had a genetic deficiency that covered his body with, with these sores. He would get on a bus and people would scream at him to get off. No one would sit by him in public. He was ridiculed. Totally, as, as far as we know, it was not staged in any way, but he comes to the he comes to Mass, and the Pope's people invite him up to the front. And, and, he, and he sees the Pope coming, and he stretches out his hand, expecting, wow, maybe the Pope, Pope will touch my hand. And Francis takes him and embraces him. And not just for a moment. His testimony is that he didn't think the Pope was going to let go. <laughs> he held him so closely, so tightly. And kissed him. His testimony is that his life changed after that. He became more outward. He became more his self. He's a funny guy. More able to talk with confidence in that. This is what we see. That, that is authority there. That is not just saying, hey, love your neighbor. That is loving your neighbor with that. Elton Trueblood said this, 
said the church is never true to itself when it is living for itself. We know this. This is true for us as individuals as well as churches. If we seek to gain our life, if we seek to save our life, we will lose it. If we seek to lose our life, we'll gain it. It says, for it is chiefly concerned, for if it is chiefly concerned with saving its own life, it will lose it. The nature of the church is such that it must always be engaged in finding new ways by which to transcend itself. The main responsibility is always outside its own walls. Look, like I said earlier, I'm not a big believer in New Year's resolutions. If you're doing them, great. That's fine. But I am a huge fan of living intentionally, of being purposeful in our practices and our habits. Grace Church, we've, committed, we've, we've taken a big step in committing ourselves, our church, to being a place of more hospitality and shalom. It's cost us, and it's going to cost us more. But it's worth us. It's worth it. Because really taking, really allowing God to love us, loved unconditionally, really being loved by God takes a lifetime of consistent intention and devotion. And so when we do that, we start to expand. We start to, be, to put out roots. We start to have influence. We start to have integrity with that. But if we only concentrate on one area, we will not stand. Really knowing the freedom that comes from letting ourselves be loved by God takes regular practice and leaning into community to be formed in this freedom. And, and we need that. That needs to come out. But if we only do those two things, then again... We're out of balance. But really walking faithfully for the sake of others, for the sake of others, is something that's only achieved by grace and an ever-orienting gaze fixed on Jesus. And when we can do all three of those things together, we will stop careening around dizzily destructive in a world that needs a savior. We have to learn to practice all three together. This is not something that is common or easily achieved. It is, takes a massive rewiring of the way that we think, act, and love with that. But if we are really willing to take our cues from the combination of Jesus' actions in this passage that we studied, it will bring us closer to this balance between our thoughts, closer to the balance between our actions, affections, and thoughts that we so desperately need. If we ponder how Jesus demonstrated who he was and what he said, what he did and who he loved and how he loved them, we will find our way. But we have a choice. We always have a choice. We have a choice both as individuals, we have a choice as a community. What practices and habits will we intentionally devote ourselves that develop this? Are we going to take it seriously? Are we going to live faithfully and free? If you want to make a New Year's resolution, make it along those lines. Of bringing integrity to your heart, to your hand, to all three parts the head as well. 
These are the decisions that lie ahead of us. And although these past few months have been some of the most difficult and painful and challenging of my life, I am ever hopeful because of who has called us, because of who loves us, because of who lives in us, through us, and among us. I am more hopeful than ever because of Jesus and that he is the Savior. He's not here just to coach us up. He's not here just to get us fit. He's not here to just give us more information. He's here to save us.